Please open your Bibles to John chapter 7. We are continuing on in our study through the Gospel of John. Last time we were together, we finished up with John chapter 6, so we'll be picking it up in verse 1 of chapter 7. So hopefully you've got your Bibles in front of you and you have them open there. John chapter 7 verse 1 says, After these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, as I read this verse, it just kind of strikes me, um, kind of funny in a way, I guess you would say. The reason I say that is here we see Jesus avoiding people that are out to get him, even though he has complete power to annihilate them if he so chooses. This is God in the flesh. Uh, Colossians 2.10 says that he is the head of all principality and power. In Colossians 1.16, it says that by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. But yet here we see Jesus in complete meekness, avoiding confrontation. He did not want to walk in Jew country. He had to avoid the Jews because he knew that they were out to get him. He could have walked wherever he wanted to walk, but he did all that he could to walk in a way of peace and to fulfill his purpose for coming to the earth. Now, why do I point this out to you today? Well, you know, many a times um, we have people that do us wrong. We can be wronged by someone or someone else has done us some sort of hurt or harm. And how do you respond? Do you respond in a way that seeks peace? Or do you want to use what is ever in your power to get that person back for what they've done? You know, sometimes you just need to walk away. Sometimes people have the wrong motives. You might even find it within the body of Christ. But there are times when you just need to, in meekness, walk away. No matter what the situation, you don't have to stand up and prove your point. You don't have to strike back or go after this person or that person. You know, Jesus is our example. And when we study the Word of God, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to show us how we can apply His Word to our lives. You know, this is where the rubber meets the road. You know, it's more than just sitting down and doing Bible studies and, and making it uh, become a head knowledge. It has to be something that we apply in our lives as well. You know, if you remember years back, uh, what would Jesus do? The bumper stickers and the bracelets. Well, it needs to be more than that. It needs to be something that we learn and something that we put into practice in our daily lives. And here we see one example of what Jesus would do. Even though it's in his power to wipe out anything that comes against him, he is staying the course of his purpose for coming to the earth, which was to seek and to save that which was lost. And in so doing, he is avoiding confrontation. And when God calls you to step up or to step out and to do something and confrontation comes your way, you don't have to be like the rest of the world. You don't even have to be like those that maybe are attacking you. You need to stay the course. You need to just fix your eyes on Jesus. He's got a purpose and a plan for your life. 
Stay focused on him. Stay focused on the word. God's plan was going to come to fruition here. And we're going to see that as we go on. But you know, the same holds true for you and me today. If we will just stay focused on serving him and not be distracted by the will of the flesh, be that the will of your own flesh, be that the will of man, be that the will of this world, be that the will of others. We need to be focused on the will of God and be in his word, focused completely on Jesus led by the Holy Spirit. But you know, there was another dilemma ahead for Jesus. Verse 2 says that now the feast, or the Jew, excuse me, feast of tabernacles was at hand. Now, this presents a dilemma for Jesus because he had to keep the law and attend this feast. He didn't want to go to Judea, but in order to fulfill all the requirements of the law, he had to go. His brothers had no concept of all of this, and they wanted him to go to Judea for the wrong reason. Verses 3 and 4 says that his brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. So. The brothers of Jesus here have no idea of the plan of God, and they are using worldly reasoning to instruct Jesus. But you see, Jesus was on this earth to be about his father's business. And for you and me, when we surrender our lives to the Lord Jesus, we become people that are to be filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. God has a plan for each and every one of us, and He wants us trusting in and looking to Him. There will always be uh, people that will want to instruct you, but we must be people that are seeking the Lord above all else and not the will of others. Now, if you remember, we studied in chapter 6 how Jesus had lost a lot of followers. He spoke spiritual words to his followers, and they were trying to process it physically, and they decided to stop following Jesus and go a different direction. Well, his brothers here may be thinking that he can expand his ministry and gain some more followers if he just go up to the feast and perform some miracles. He could uh, go up there and maybe recoup some of his losses. But you see, they don't know the plan of God. For Jesus, and Jesus as God in the flesh came to seek and to save that which was lost. He was on a course. He was. He had a purpose for being here, and he didn't need the instruction of his brothers. And, and you know, that's not the way of Jesus anyway. He wasn't here building an earthly kingdom. And we saw that in chapter 6 as well. You see, Jesus was all about serving the Father. This wasn't about him building his own kingdom, a political kingdom, building a following or whatever, nor should it be the desire of any of us. Three years prior to what we're studying today, you know, Jesus could have had all the kingdoms of the world given to him. Turn to uh, Matthew chapter 4 and we'll see what I'm talking about here. Matthew chapter 4. First book in your New Testament. 
And um, we're going to look at verses 8 through 10. What's taken place here is Jesus was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And he was being tempted by Satan. Okay, And verse 8 of Matthew chapter 4 says, Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. So, This temptation was constantly before Jesus. The temptation to rule over an earthly kingdom. Satan offered it to him and man offered it to him on a couple of occasions. And you and I must realize um, this world will offer us anything we want as long as we don't sell out to Jesus. As, we, as long as we don't worship the Lord our God and serve Him, Satan will offer you anything you want. And we must also realize that this temptation is very subtle. I often say this, but you know, Satan doesn't come up and introduce himself to you when he's trying to deceive you. He wants, you, he wants to distract you little by little from the the purpose of God for your life. He just wants to get your eyes focused on to something else. Maybe the things of this world. Just get you ever so slightly focused somewhere else. Because if he does, then he has you exactly where he wants you. I really believe from personal interactions with others, that God is calling people today back to a place of their first love. That place where they first came to know Jesus Christ and things were very simplistic. And maybe for some of you, you haven't come to that place at all yet. But for others, I know that I'm seeing it a lot in people around me. God is calling them back. The Lord is calling them back to where it's simply about knowing Jesus and making Him known. You know, religiosity has um, clouded the things of God in many ways. And uh, they, 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 they take away that peace and that joy of a fresh relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, I know that that is where God is calling me back to. And I know that he is calling me to exhort others to that same place. Just the simplicity of knowing Jesus, just walking in his presence, studying his word, making him known to others, growing in the grace and in the knowledge of him, getting uninvolved with all the political stuff that that can take place in our lives all around us. I'm not just talking about politics as we know it, but just anything that is busy in your life that has distracted you from just that personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. So I have determined to take each day, one day at a time, and minister His Word wherever and to whomever he places before me. But back in John chapter 7, the brothers of Jesus are trying to, to get him to flaunt his power. 
But his brothers didn't really know him. They didn't even believe in him. Look at verse 5 of John chapter 7. It says so. It says, for even his brothers did not believe in him. You see, remember, Jesus knows what's in the heart. And he knew what was in his brother's hearts. He, they were not seeking the things of the kingdom of God. They were seeking their own righteousness. This area is full of people that are heading up to a religious feast. And yet they were rejecting their own Messiah who was right there in front of them. And I really believe that many people do the same thing today. They head out every Sunday to go someplace, but they're unaware of who the Savior desires them to be. We must seek Jesus for who He really is and not for what we desire Him to be. And we saw that in John chapter 6. And before we move on, I just want to point out to you a little side note about these scriptures that we're reading here today. And that is the fact that uh, Jesus had brothers and sisters. They were half-brothers, but they had the same mother. Mary had more children other than Jesus. Mary was not a perpetual virgin. Over in uh, Mark chapter 6, go ahead and, and turn there briefly. Like I said, this is just a little side note from the direction of our study. But just since we, we see this topic here of Jesus' brothers saying some things for him. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, says, Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many, hearing him, were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph, Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So you see, the people were amazed that such a seemingly ordinary man would have such knowledge and power. But he was not an ordinary man. He was flesh and blood, but he was every bit God in the flesh. God chose an ordinary woman to bring forth an extraordinary man-child. Mary's virginity and devotion to God made her highly favored, and I believe that she was a wonderful, godly woman on the face of the earth, but that was the extent of it. She went on to have a normal marriage and had more children with her husband, Joseph. So, like I said, it's just a side note, but I thought I should point that out to you today since we were talking about Jesus' brothers here. But back in John chapter 7, the brothers of Jesus are heading up to the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was like a big camp out. The Jews used it as a time to look back on Israel's journey through the wilderness and to look forward to the coming of the Messiah. What they would do is they would set up booths made of branches to remind them of how God provided for them for nearly 40 years. 
They would illuminate the temple with large candlesticks to remind them of how God guided the people with a pillar of fire. And each day of the feast, the priest would carry water from the pool of Siloam and pour it out from a golden vessel, reminding the Jews of the miraculous provision of water from the rock that Moses smoked. So that's what the Feast of Tabernacles was all about. This was a very festive time for the Jews. But it's ironic to me that this was a celebration that looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. But he was right there in front of their faces. They had heard him teach and they had seen him heal a paralytic man. But they were completely missing him. To them... Jesus was just a powerful man that they had to get rid of because he didn't fall in line with their traditions and he was leading uh, leading people away from their religion. How many people today are just simply missing Jesus? He's right there in front of them, but they cannot see him because he does not fit into their lifestyle or their traditions. The brothers of Jesus wanted him to build his kingdom, and they thought that if he would just come to the feast and perform some miracles, he would gain a bigger following. This is man's way of doing things, but it's not God's way. And Jesus goes on to tell his brothers here in verses uh, 6 through 8, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. So Jesus told his brothers here, you go to Jerusalem. You can go anytime you want. You'll fit in just fine. They don't hate you. They hate me. And why did they hate Jesus? The same reason he is hated today by this world system. He testifies against it that its works are evil. Why doesn't the whole world just accept Jesus? Because in order to do so, they must repent. They must turn from their sin. And people just don't want to do that. There is a sad statement In 2 Timothy chapter 4, you don't need to turn there, but uh, it's around verse 12. It's about a man named Demas. Now, Demas was working alongside of Paul the Apostle. And in that verse, it tells us that he walked away from the work he was doing with Paul because he loved this present world. That's what it says. 2 Timothy 4.12 records that Demas walked away because he loved this present world. In Philemon chapter 1, Paul called Demas a fellow laborer. But somehow, he was attracted back to the world. And many today do not follow Jesus because they love this present world. And many that that claim to be followers of Jesus will turn away and walk away from him because they love this present world. And they don't want to let go of it. Many others follow Jesus uh, maybe for a period of time and you say, oh yeah, that guy's been a Christian for 10 years. 
you know, and and they walk away. And still many others never come to know who Jesus really is because they're satisfied with their own man-made traditions. You know, their traditions allow them to believe what they want to believe. They can have faith, so-called faith, but yet they can keep on living the way they want to live. You know, six days of the week as long as they go to church on Sunday. But you know, we do not see this in the scriptures. Religion does not get anyone into the kingdom of God. We saw that with Nicodemus in chapter 3. He was a good man, a religious man, but he needed to be born again. And that's the only way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And we all need to die to ourselves, and we need to allow Christ to rule and reign in our hearts. So Jesus tells his brothers to go ahead and go to the feast. It's not my time to go. But the dilemma was that he had to go. He didn't have to go for the reason that his brothers had given him. But according to Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, he had to go. Go ahead and keep your finger right here in John chapter 7, or mark this page somehow. But turn to Deuteronomy chapter 16. It's the fifth book in the Bible, right after the book of Numbers, and right before the book of Joshua. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Go ahead and turn there, Deuteronomy chapter 16. And looking at verse 16, so Deuteronomy 16, 16 says, Three times a year, All your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. So, for Jesus, going to the feast was not a matter of pleasing man, but rather a matter of obedience to the Word of God. And flipping back now to John chapter 7, Jesus was going to go to the feast, but he was going to go in his own timing and not in his brother's timing. And continuing on in verse 9, it says, When he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much complaining amongst the people concerning him. Some said, He is good. Others said, No, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Okay. So the Jews were looking for him. They figured he would be there. And if he had told his brothers that he was coming, I'm sure they would have announced it when they got there. Jesus had to go, but he decided to go in secret. But the people were talking about him. Some of them said he was good, and others said that he deceived people. And you know, It really boils down to those two things for people today. Jesus is either good, 
And who the Bible says that he is, or he is a deceiver of all of us Christians that are following him today. I want to repeat that. Jesus is either good, and who the Bible says that he is, or he is a deceiver of all of us Christians that are following him today. People today that choose to reject Jesus are taking a stance that he is not who the Bible says he is. Because if he is who the Bible says he is, then they are condemned for rejecting him. So everyone must make a decision as to who Jesus is. The best thing to do is to make that decision now. Because we live in the age of grace, a time where whosoever will can come to Jesus now. But once this life is over, we will stand before Jesus as a judge and grace will be no more. We have all we need on this earth to testify to us as to who Jesus is. The Word of God is the testimony of who Jesus Christ is. Turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And we're going to look at verse 24. Here we'll see that Jesus tells a rich man that was very well off, um, he, tells, he tells of this rich man and he tells of a beggar named Lazarus whose earthly life was a mess. Both men died. The beggar was carried by angels to the bosom of Abraham and the rich man was buried and ended up in Hades. The rich man was tormented and he could see Lazarus as he cried out and said in verse 24, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides, all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. So, for some people, the word of God is not enough for them to believe, nor is it enough for them to know that Jesus was raised from the dead because they love this present world too much to let go of it and to surrender their lives to Christ. And turning back to John chapter 7, Jesus is now at the feast. And in verse 14, it says, Now 
About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. Now, if you remember, we studied in John chapter 2 how the first time that Jesus went to the temple, he cleansed the temple, and this time we see that he's there teaching. He came the first time with a zeal for his father's house, and now he's going to teach in his father's house. And his teaching would again astonish them. Verse 15 goes on to say, And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? You see, they were amazed at his teaching. They knew that he had never had any formal training. They knew that he hadn't been to any of their seminaries. He had no degree, and this caused them to wonder where he had gotten such knowledge. And you know, the same thing would later be said of his disciples. Turn to Acts chapter 4. One book up from where we are here in the Gospel of John, you will find the book of Acts. We're going to look at Acts chapter 4. Chapter 4 of Acts here, Peter and John had been taken into custody by the Sadducees, and they were brought before the high priest Caiaphas and the rulers of the elders. And looking down at verse 13, it says, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And you know, spiritually speaking, that was all the education that Peter and John needed. Time with Jesus. And spiritually speaking, that's the greatest education that you and me will have as well. Time with Jesus. Time in prayer. Time in studying His Word and fellowshipping with like-minded believers. When we spend time with Jesus, it will affect us and it will affect the lives of everyone else around us. Now, just so you know, I believe that Education is a wonderful gift here on this earth, but it's not what qualifies you to be used by God. In the eyes of man, Jesus himself was not qualified, but Jesus didn't come to please man. He came to fulfill the will of the Father, and he wasn't going to give in to flesh and become pleasing in the eyes of man. When you are called by God and you have, you first of all, you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You are in his word. You're growing in the grace and in the knowledge of him. And he sends you and he tells you to go and maybe start a Bible study or, or do something like that. Um, reach out to someone. You just need to simply obey. You don't need to sit there and say, well, I'm not qualified. I need to go out and get a, some sort of pastoral degree. No, you just need to go. You need to obey the Lord and go. Satan don't want you to go, so he's going to use whomever he can to try and stop you from going and do what you know you're called to do. But you don't need to be pleasing in the eyes of man. You just need to follow the will of the Lord for your life, but you're not going to know the will of the Lord. You're not going to have this intimate relationship with Him if you're not in His Word. 
and if you're not spending time in prayer. And back in in John chapter 7, verse 16, uh, it says, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. So you see, Jesus was pointing out to them that he was not going to speak anything other than the words of God. And if they were in God's word, they would know if he was speaking God's word or if he was speaking simply as a man. Now, with that in mind, I'll tell you this. I'm just an ordinary man. I have nothing that qualifies me to be teaching you today. I am simply doing this because God has called me to do it. But as I am constantly reminding you, though, you must be in the Word of God yourself. You must be growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ on your own. This can't be your only source of uh, spiritual food. Uh, You know, if, if this is it, Man, you're going to shrivel up. I've said that before. You've got to have that personal time with Jesus. People should look at you and say, man, I can tell that he or she has been in the presence of Jesus. You know, I can simply teach and point you to the things of the Word of God, but God desires that you would know Him personally. He desires to commune with you on a personal level But he's not going to force himself on you, like we've discussed before. To get close to you, he gave his life. There is nothing more for him to give. The ball is in your court. How much have you surrendered to Jesus? Jesus goes on to say in verse 18, He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. You see, in that statement right there, Jesus was speaking about himself. He is the true one. He is the only one whom unrighteousness never dwelled in. Everyone else that has walked on the face of this earth has had unrighteousness within them. And these people that he is teaching here were some of those unrighteous people. He goes on to say to them in verse 19, Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? So one of the commandments was, Thou shalt not kill, right? And these people have murder in their hearts, and Jesus knows it. They may think they don't, but he knows that they do because he's looking at their hearts. And you know, the Lord knows our hearts today as well. You don't need to turn there, but Jeremiah chapter 17, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. The Lord is the only one that truly knows our hearts. 
He knows the hearts of every human being, saved and unsaved. Here in front of Jesus were a group of people that would go on in verse 20 to say, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? You see, they didn't even know how wicked their own hearts were. Desperately wicked. Remember Peter? Remember when he told Jesus in Matthew 26 that even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble? And he would then go on to say, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you? But what did Peter end up doing? He denied Jesus, didn't he? You know, that reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. It says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And for these people that Jesus was teaching in the temple, and for you and me, we only have one place on which to stand, and that is on Christ, the solid rock. Otherwise, we are destined to fall. We cannot stand on our own righteousness. These Jews were having a grand old time at the Feast of Tabernacles, and they thought they were righteous as a result of being there. But right in front of them was their only hope for righteousness. Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, was living amongst them and teaching them, and they were completely missing him. I encourage you to spend time this week seeking Jesus. Not for your own gain, but simply spend time in His presence. You know, we recently here had a night of prayer and praise. And we just spent time in the presence of the Lord, quietly worshiping Him and praying for whomever He brought to our minds. And it was just a wonderful time. But you know, each one of us needs to just make some time to do that every week. Worship Him in spirit and in truth. Sing songs of praise in your heart and spend time at His feet by studying His Word. Only then will you hear His voice and only then will you have the strength to stand.